Welcome to Hope Assembly of God Online. We believe no matter the journey, there is always hope. This is a recording of our live Sunday sermon, unedited, uncut, real. I was thinking, I love that song. Um, just one of my one of my favorites, new favorites. Um, that people use Jesus' name as a curse word, you know. And to me, obviously, it's terrible, but uh, it just proves <laughs> who he is, who he says he is. The enemy is so fearful of his name, the name of Jesus. There's something powerful about the name of Jesus. And someday every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is, is Lord. Um, he's the name above all names. Awesome. Awesome. We don't use his name as a curse, that's for sure. Uh, he's our Lord and Savior, and uh, we love him, and he loves us. Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to be back together-ish. We had a great online service uh, today. I have a good sense that um, things are going to start getting back to some semblance of normal, and I am looking, looking forward to that. I found an old bulletin uh, this week, and, and it just reminded me of all of the activities and things that, that, we, that I miss, uh, I miss having. So uh, hopefully, I think we're getting back to some semblance of normal. Of course, when this all started, I thought it was only going to last two weeks. So you might not be able to go by what I, what I say, but uh, we're glad to be back together in the house, in the house of the Lord. We're going to look at this morning... Promise number eight. We're already on the eighth promise. Hard to believe uh, that, that we are of the ten promises. Promise number eight. And it says, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will what? Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. There was a small community in northeastern Pennsylvania that built a little red brick building that was uh, to be their police department, fire department, their city hall. They were very proud of that uh, building. They had uh, sacrificed and planned, and, and they gathered together almost the whole community to celebrate and have a ribbon-cutting ceremony for this new building. It was certainly the biggest event of the year, but within a couple months, they began to notice that some uh, cracks were appearing on the side of the building, of the red brick building. And sometime later, it was noticed that the windows now would not shut all the way. Uh, then it was discovered the doors wouldn't close correctly. Eventually, the floor shifted and left ugly gaps in the floor covering and corners. The roof began to leak when within a few more months, it had to be evacuated. The embarrassment of the builder and the disgust of the taxpayers, they hired a firm to do an analysis on this building and what happened. And what they found was that there were blasts from a nearby mining area that were slowly but effectively destroying the building. Imperceptibly, down beneath the foundation, there were small shifts and changes taking place that caused the whole foundation to crack. They didn't know what was happening, but imperceptibly, underneath the ground, you, you couldn't feel it or you couldn't even see it from the surface, but quietly and down deep there was a weakening, 
city official had the finally right on the building condemned, not fit for public use, and eventually the building had to be demolished. The moral there is that often erosion goes unnoticed when you play with temptation until your character is permanently destroyed. Isn't that interesting? That a lot of the temptation that happens in our lives happens behind the scenes or underground. And it might not even be noticeable that we yield to this temptation one time and, and we yield to it again and, and no one knows it and, and it's not immediately recognized. But what happens over a period of time is a yielding to one temptation and another temptation and another temptation brings us to the point that at some point our destiny is destroyed, our, our character is destroyed, our testimony is destroyed. And there's nothing more that the enemy wants to do in your life in, is to destroy you. Whether he destroys you physically or spiritually, the enemy wants to destroy you. And so we find in the middle of all of this, res submit yourself then to God, resist the devil, and he will what? He will flee. Now James talks about in James chapter 4, I don't have time to uh, get into all of it, but there are three uh, avenues, three enemies that are working against the believer that are trying to destroy us and destroy our relationship to Jesus Christ. These aren't in any particular order or priority. But the first one is the world. The world is characterized in the Bible as parts of society that are in direct opposition to the things of God. How many understand this world that we live in is, is broken? It's broken. And it's not going to be healed and whole until Jesus comes. And there's a new heaven and a new earth, and the King of kings and Lord of lords sits on his throne. But while we're living in this world, we are living in a broken world whose values are contrary to the values of God, whose principles are in direct opposition to the things of God. We look at the world around us, and we throw up our hands and say, what's going on? What's go well, what's going on is we live in a broken world because of sin, that the prince of the power of the air is in charge for now, but it's not going to last forever. That's why we have to be careful of our focus, that our focus is not on the temporal things, but on the eternal things of God. But the world is an enemy of the church. The world is an enemy of the believer trying to destroy us, whether physically or spiritually, but trying to destroy our relationship to the Lord. And James puts it like this. Listen, if you're friends with the world, then you hate God. That's pretty serious. James, I liked him because he was a straight shooter. He just told it as it was. Friendship with the world is hatred towards God in James chapter 4, verse 4. We are not to seek the approval of the world, but instead to seek the approval of Jesus. So the world is an enemy to the believer. Our own flesh is a believer. Now, when the Bible talks about flesh, it's not necessarily talking about this type of flesh. It's talking internally. And James describes it in verse 1 as your desires that battle within you. And then for explanation, I'll put on that your old desires that battle within you. See, before Jesus Christ, we completely yielded to our old desires. 
And anything that we thought was right, we would do, whether it was right in God's eyes or not. That's our old desires. We call that the flesh. And we still battle with the flesh, don't we? Just because we're saved and in right standing with God, it doesn't mean that our old nature has been completely destroyed. In fact, we have to battle our old nature not day by day, but moment by moment sometimes, depending on the circumstance and depending on what's going on in our lives or around our lives. This is the battle of the flesh. This is an enemy of the believer and our relationship to Jesus Christ because the things of the flesh are diametrically opposed to the things of the spirit. And the third enemy, which is going to be our focus today, is the devil. Resist the devil and he will flee. James, who wrote this book, believed in a real devil. Do you know who else believed in a real devil? Jesus, <laughs> right? The devil is not just a concept of evil, the devil is real, real. The devil, where did the devil come from? You, you, you know, he was a what? A fallen angel, but he was created. But he decided he wanted to be worshiped and therefore he was cast out of heaven. And we'll look at pride in just a few minutes here. But he was a created being. The devil is real. Jesus knew he was real. Jesus knew temptation was real. The first humans, Adam and Eve knew the devil was real, Right? The first Adam failed. The second Adam, Jesus, succeeded in defeating the enemy. The first Adam brought destruction. The second Adam destroyed the power of the devil and brings deliverance. That's the good news. That we can resist the devil and he will flee because of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross on our behalf. So these three enemies work together at the same time, simultaneously. Have you ever felt like you've been under attack in every area of your life? Well, here you go. This is what's happening here. Uh, we've talked about this a thousand times. Things never happen one thing at a time. We have one bad thing happening now, and we get through that, and we're putting all of our energy into working on this one thing. And Nope, it all happens like we're moving along, and, and 10 things hit at once. That's how it works. That's how it works. Sometimes we're confronted with temptation after temptation because the enemy is trying to destroy us. The world is at war with the Father. Watch this. The flesh is at war with the Spirit, and the devil is at war with the Son of God to destroy what God wants to accomplish. Now, what was Satan's main sin? We, we've said it. What? Pride. Guess what he uses to tempt believers? You know, pride. Pride. It's his great sin and it's his chief weapon in his warfare against the saints. God wants us to be humble. Satan wants us to be proud. What did he say to Eve to tempt her? What did Satan say to Eve? You will be like what? He appealed to her flesh. He appealed to her pride. He appealed to, and it, it, you know, I don't want to get too theological in this, into her, to her free will. You, God created us with a free will to be able to choose, that we would choose to follow him. She chose to love herself more than God. See? And Satan played in on that, and he uses the same temptations even today. The devil's tools of seductions of many kinds. I love this. I found this in the Life Application Bible Commentary. It's one of the main commentaries that I use. 
um, because it's so understandable and so practical. I'm, I'm not an, an, an academic. I'm just a, a, a normal guy uh, that has studied the word of God for a long period of time, but I need brilliant people to break it down so that I can understand it. So those are the kind of books that I read. If you come into my office, the, the, my desk is here, and along this wall from the ceiling down is a whole bunch of books and big volumes, very impressive. Now I mostly use them for pictures because they look so good, and it makes me look smarter than most of you know I actually am. So I find these commentaries that speak in a language I can understand. And I thought this was brilliant in what they said about when Jesus was tempted by the enemy in Matthew 4, 1 through 11. He tempted him with the seduction of self-sufficiency, challenging Jesus to meet his own needs. He tempted Jesus with the seduction of self-importance, challenging Jesus to test God. He tempted Jesus with the seduction of power, challenging Jesus to exchange power over the world for submission to the devil. Satan still uses the same schemes and the same tricks that he used on the first Adam who failed, on the second Adam who succeeded, and so we can have victory. James knew all of this, and he writes this, but God gives us more grace. Amen. How many need more of God's grace in their life? I do. Remember, not day by day, moment by moment, right? Moment by moment. Look what he says. That's why scripture says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble. Okay? Now, let's take a look at our, at our promise here. Verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, there are two key words in here that we're going to look at. Not God. God is not one of the key words. He is the key to everything. But we're going to look at two key words in this passage. What's the first key word? Submit. Submit is first. That's the condition to the promise, right? The promise is resist the devil, but what's the condition? Well, to submit to God. And that's the hard part. We all want to resist the devil. We all want the devil to flee from us. What we don't want to do is submit to God. And here's why. Because we want to be God. We want to set the standards. We want to set the rules. We want, we want things to work the way we think they should work. We want to be in control of everything. How many? Well, no, 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 never mind. I won't ask. How many have issues with control? You can just... Put your head down and humbly admit that we all have issues with control. We all want to be in control of everything in life. That's why we ask, well, why? Why did this happen and why did that happen? Because we want to be in control of every aspect of life. Who is the only person in all of the universe and beyond in the next realm that's absolutely in control of everything? God. And so look at it. If we want to be in control of everything and make sure everything goes our way, we want to be, in essence, what? We want to be God. See? That's why submission becomes so difficult. Look at Adam and Eve. They had everything. Everything they would ever need, including a loving heavenly father that was perfect, and yet they chose to rebel, right? 
because they wanted to do what they wanted to do when they wanted to do it, and they didn't want anyone, even God, telling them what to do. See, submission's the hard part, and yet it's essential in the Christian life. It's essential in resisting temptation, submitting to God, submitting to God. Now, what does it mean to submit? Submit has the idea of willingly placing ourselves under the authority of another. In the military, it would be uh, based on rank. How, how many served in the military here? Okay, few of you. When my son was going to boot camp, uh, my nephew, who's a major in the army, called, and just to go over some things with him, and he told Joe, he said, Joe, being a private in the army is the easiest job in the army. Joe was like, yeah? He goes, yeah, because all you have to do is what you're told. If they tell you to stand on this block for the next three hours, guess what you do? You stand on that block for the next three hours. He didn't say this, but he didn't say, excuse me, sir, my mom told me that I didn't have to stand on this block. My, my brother-in-law, when he was young, um, and I just started coming around uh, into the, the family, and uh, he was mad at his mom, and he told her that he was going to join the army because he was tired of his mom telling him what to do. <laughs> we thought that was the greatest thing. That's a good idea. Yeah, your mom will have a beard in the army, yeah. so, But in the... Uh, submitting to the authority. And, and the authority over you doesn't have to answer to you. Sir, why do you want me to stand on this block? Don't worry about why I told you to do it. That's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to stand on that block. I'll worry about that. Well, what if that's not your responsibility? Well, shouldn't I? That's not your responsibility. Wouldn't I be better at that's not your responsibility? See? And what do they do in boot camp? What's the purpose of boot camp, those of you that have been through it, which I haven't, thankfully? To train you to what? To do what you're told. Because when the heat of the battle is on, you fall back on your training to do what you are told. Submission. What does God require of us to have victory in spiritual warfare? Submit to him. Do what he tells you to do. Well, I'm not sure what he wants me to do. Yes, you do. You know exactly what he wants you to do, and that's why you don't want to do it. Can we cut through all that nonsense? Who's got time for all the nonsense? I don't. We know exactly what God wants us to do, and at the root of us, we don't want to do it. You'll never have victory over the enemy until you submit to God. Okay, let me put it a different way. If you're in a battle and you're losing really bad and you're surrounded, you, one of the options is to surrender. And so you put your hands up, you wave the white flag, and that means you surrender. You give up the fight and the other side has won, right? In the spiritual realm, when you surrender to God, you win. You see how that works? It's the total opposite of everything that we thought. When we raise our hands, either literally or figuratively, and we surrender to God, that's when we win. 
that's when we're victorious. When I am weak, then I am strong. It's the opposite. It's in that submission to God that we finally gain victory in our own lives, victory over the enemies that come against us. It's in submission. God is the general of the army. And not just the armies of earth, but the armies of heaven, whose numbers are greater than we even have the numbers for. When, when the Old Testament says he's the Lord of hosts, if you've heard that in the Old Testament, what it means is he's the general of the armies of heaven, that all of the angels submit to him and listen to him, that he's in charge of all of them, and they do what they're told. He's the general of the armies of heaven. When we submit to him, we're rec watch, we're recognizing who he is and who we're not. When we submit to his authority, we recognize who he is and who we're not. So here's the title of the sermon. That's not just my intro. I'm a little bit past the intro. But here's the title of the sermon. He is and I ain't. And I know ain't isn't proper. I get that. I don't, you don't need to like email me and say, oh, you use the word ain't. I, I get it. I get it. I want you to get this in your heart. He is, and I ain't. And until we get that straight, we'll never resist the enemy. We'll never have victory in our lives until we recognize he is, and I ain't. And that's what humility is, who God is and who I'm not. And what pride says, I know what's best for me. <laughs> really? Really? You know what's best for you. You weren't even sure you were going to get out of bed and come to church today. You rolled over and looked at your, your uh, phone and it said 22 degrees and said, mm. I'm sorry, maybe that was me that wasn't sure whether I was going to come to church today. I'm not sure. Not sure if that, that might have just been me. But really, we know what's best for our own lives. I mean, enough of us here in this room have enough of a track record to recognize <laughs> we don't always know what's best for our lives, but we know someone that does, and his name is Jesus. He is, and, and I ain't. And submission is the first step to victory over the enemy in our lives. Amen? Second key word, what? Resist. Resist means to oppose. I, I, I like this phrasing. It means to stand up against to stand up against and not just follow along and go with whatever the temptation is, but to stand up against that temptation to resist the enemy and what he's trying to accomplish in my life. But I am going to stand up. The New Testament is replete with, with spiritual warfare. Jesus faced spiritual warfare. Peter faced spiritual warfare. Paul in Ephesians uh, chapter 6 talked about spiritual warfare because he faced spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is part of the Christian life. But we know where victory comes from. It comes from resisting and standing strong against the enemy. And we can stand strong against the enemy, not because of the first Adam, but because of the second Adam, because Jesus Christ won victory on the cross and he defeated Satan. 
So we're not wondering who's going to win. Jesus is going to win. I love high school basketball. And I've been going to high school basketball games for many years. Uh, Even after my kids were out of school, I just like it. I grew up in a gym, and I like the, the, the squeaking of the sneakers, I like the the whistles and the smell of the gym. I just love it. It just brings me to a a happy place. But this year, you're not allowed. No fans. And so I I got a subscription to this thing that uh, plays the high school games so I can still watch the games at home. And uh, I got permission. And then I got the subscription. Okay, let's get that straight. Some of you get that. (laughs) Doors up in the social hall, okay. Uh, Anyway, watching the games. uh, uh, But I can't always watch them live because it doesn't fit. And so I watched the one game after the fact when I knew that Delcy had won in overtime. I knew they were down 15 points in the fourth quarter, which for high school is a lot. It's a lot. High school teams just don't score that much. So they were down 15 in the fourth quarter. I knew all this because I read the article before I watched the game. I knew they won before I watched the game. And I was just as excited at the end of the game as I would have been if I was there. Guess what? In the Christian life, we know we win. Even in the middle of the battle, even down by 15, we know we win win because Jesus has already won the victory for us. We're not in this battle wondering if we're going to win. We're in this battle knowing that if we submit to God, his will and his way, then we can withstand and resist the devil and the devil must flee. Submit and resist. Now, I don't have time, again, uh, on Sunday mornings to read what's ahead or or in front of our promise and all of it and get into detail behind our promise. But if you read James chapter 4, at least 1 through 12 this week sometime, it'll it'll fill in some of the blanks. But verse 7 says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And here's what we're to do. How do we submit? How do we resist? He tells us very simply. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. So how do we submit, and how do we resist? First, we come to God. That's what you are doing today. You recognize that in your life, and whether you watched online, and we had a lot of people watching online, or whether you're here on site, whether you're in this room, the cafe, or the social hall, you know that it's important. You need to come to God. You need to have time with God every day, but there's something special about coming together with the people of God. Isn't it kind of neat when I, when I say something and, and we all agree, yes, we struggle with that? I mean, that's kind of cool that I'm not in this alone that we're all in this together, that we all have the same struggles, but we all have the same Savior. And that's kind of a cool thing. Come to God. God is waiting for you to come to him. How do we come to him? Sometimes it involves, you know, coming to church. 
But just because you sit in the pew don't mean you're coming to God. You might just be coming to church. I would take church to the next level and come to church to meet with God and not just meet with other people. I think that's kind of the point. People will let you down. Jesus won't. When you come to church to meet with God, you'll never be disappointed. If you come to church to meet with people and have other people meet your needs, you'll always be disappointed. Always. Because no person can meet your needs like Jesus can. But when you come to God, he's waiting. He's coming. And he's coming near to you, and he will meet with you. I think it's kind of neat. I keep referring to online because uh, I've never done that before until this you know, p- recent past. And the first couple of weeks talking to the uh, screen was weird because I had never done that. I'm a people, you know, interact and joke and, and, you know, you know how it goes. And, um, I'm telling jokes and I think they're hysterical and boom, they just right up against the screen. I don't know what's going on. Finally, I realized let people respond and at least I, you know, know that there's some connection there. But over the past few months, what I've been seeing more of is that we have this connection even though we're in separate places because we're all looking to the same person, you see? And here we are today, not just in the sense we're sitting in different places, but we come from different places and we're headed to different places, but what brings us together is the person of Jesus Christ. Come to him and he'll come to you. We've talked about submit. We've talked about resist. Wash your hands. What does that mean? Stop doing what's wrong. Don't use your hands or your body, let's say, for what's wrong and use it for what's right. Purify your hearts. How do we purify our hearts? Can we do it ourselves? No. The only way we can purify our hearts is through the work of Jesus Christ. His shed blood, which we're going to share communion in just a moment, his shed blood cleanses us from all of our sins. See? That's how we purify our hearts, by not trying to do it ourselves but allowing him to do it in our lives, asking him to do that in our lives. Humility. Humility is washing your hands, recognizing that you've, you've sinned. Purifying your hearts is humility. I can't find uh, uh, salvation on my own. I need you, Lord Jesus. Grieve. Grieve because of your sins. Some people believe that the Sermon on the Mount is, um, is a, uh, a stepping stone to the depth of our spirituality. And the first beatitude is, does anybody know the first beatitude? Somebody said it. Mourn. Who said that? Raise your hand. Oh, Pastor Rick, okay. Pastors get no points uh, for that, yeah. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And then it ends with blessed are those that uh, are persecuted, for the sake of righteousness. And so there's a spiritual progression that takes place there. And where does it start with? Mourning for our sins. We never recognize that we need a savior if we don't realize we're a sinner. I've got good news for you. All are sinners. And we all have the opportunity to be saved by the same savior. That's the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel isn't, oh, you're okay. Just keep going the way you're going and everything will work out fine. (laughs) That's a lie. The good news is, no, stop doing what's wrong. 
Let Jesus save you, forgive you at the core of who you are. Uh, purify your heart and live for him and what a difference he'll make. Humble yourself. Worship Jesus. Recognize that he is and you ain't. That's what it boils down to. You want to have victory in your life? Recognize who he is and, and who you ain't. And then the Lord will lift you up. Lastly, Submission is not a feeling. We probably won't ever feel like it. Submission is a choice, and it's an act of the will. Resisting the devil, it's an act of the will. We submit by how we live, not just on Sunday, but all throughout the week. We resist by how we live, not just on Sunday, but all throughout the week. And the best prayer you can pray when you're facing temptation, that which is trying to destroy you and your relationship to Jesus Christ, the best thing you can say is, God, I need you. I can't do this on my own, but I can do it with your help. Submit. Resist. He is, I ain't, and the devil will flee, and victory will come to you. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to Hope Online Podcast. For more information about Hope Assembly of God, go to www.godgivesyouhope.com or download our app in the App Store.